0: and welcome to another episode of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel, we have Alex Bush. Hello, hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we're talking to Jeff Bergier. Jeff, do you want to say hi and introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, hey, how are you doing? Thanks for having me.
0: This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. It has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Yeah, thanks for coming. World famous, what was it, iOS uh, Singapore speaker? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure about world famous, but uh I did speak in Singapore about iOS. <laughs> Good
0: deal. Yeah, we uh we saw your talk. Uh really really interesting stuff. And I'm wondering, yeah, just how much you can get away with um using the file system the way you kind of outlined. Do you want to just give us the elevator pitch for, you know, why why file system? Why why that approach?
1: Yeah, um <clears throat> Like part of the reason for the talk I gave, uh, was kind of demystifying the file system more than saying you should definitely use it for everything. Uh, because I think a lot of iOS developers are just afraid of, of directly accessing the file system. Uh, I think because of just a history of the users don't have documents they can access. And so you don't really need to. And then also on top of that, like, uh, most iOS, or iOS apps came about when the internet was a, was really the source of data for apps. So they're mostly JSON or other <clears throat> uh, web format-based um, documents. And so the elevator pitch was basically like, <clears throat> what if we didn't use core data or Realm and just kind of directly access the files? What? Could we do in our apps that is equivalent to using Core Data or Realm, and what advantages do you get uh, by using a simple document format? Um, so the example, I, one of the examples I gave in that talk was um, you can just push the entire document uh, package to Git, and then you have instant, complete undo, redo, and syncing support. All. Uh, without having to build any sort of sync engine or anything gotcha that's interesting
0: so yeah so first of all i'm just kind of curious like what what prompted you to even dive into something like this because yeah i mean most people are going to reach for a core data or a realm or just hit the api every time and then hope that they have good internet
1: yeah so the um what prompted me to think about it was like uh, I love using Core Data or Realm uh, because they're a great way to have like a good source of truth for the data in your app. Um, you can kind of change the data anywhere, and then every screen can update appropriately uh, with their various uh, callback methods for changes. But the they all they both fall down uh, when it comes to any sort of syncing support. Uh, Realm does have like the uh, a Cloud-based sync solution, but it's actually quite expensive uh, if you're an indie developer. Um, and now Core Data has the iCloud, or sorry, CloudKit sync. But so at the time it did not, and the previous uh, Core Data sync solution was like a complete disaster. Um, so I'm really excited to see how the the CloudKit syncing thing works. I haven't heard any horror stories yet. But that was kind of the uh, reason I looked into it because I, I wanted to see if there was a way I could use Git or some other simple syncing system um, to sync all the documents in my app while still having kind of that core data-like experience of having every UI update whenever the file system changed.
2: So what would be the use case? What what would be a typical application that that needs that? As as kind of you mentioned and Charles mentioned, most of the time these days, you just fetch the data, refetch it again, right? And uh, from the back end and just store it temporarily, ephemerally in memory between launches.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I would say this is, uh, sometimes Apple will refer to these apps as shoebox apps. So there's in Apple's world, they have kind of document-based apps, uh, which are you know, pages, uh, and and uh, you know, pretty much most normal apps: Keynote pages, Word, etc. And then there are Shoebox apps, and Shoebox apps are more like photos, mail, and iTunes apps where the data is kind of self-contained in there. So this definitely falls onto the shoebox side where you have a complete set of user data and you want it all on the user's device and all on the server and you want it to sync seamlessly between all devices.
0: That's interesting. I I could also see a need to access the file system you mentioned. um, Like iTunes, I've always wanted to build a podcast app that, you know, so it would download the files. But, yeah, I don't want to push those back and forth. I just want the other device to go download it too, but mm-hmm. still, you know I have to be able to grab the file and write it to some kind of file system, right
1: yeah, yeah and and you know for the the big blob blobs of data, I think traditional file system access works just fine. Um, this was more showing how you can keep your UI up to date with uh kind of uh like you're saying like the index of of what you're looking at. Yeah. A good example of that is kind of like overcast. That's like a podcast app where it doesn't sync the files, but it syncs an index of the files. And, uh, Marco Arment, I think he wrote his own SQLite, uh, syncing solution. And he's talked about in his podcast several times that it's quite difficult, but one could see it reimagined in a different world where kind of the, uh, list of podcasts is either a single file or a set of many files that are, say, synced with Git or some other uh, really robust syncing. I mean, we don't consider Git a syncing tool, but it easily can be used as that and with full version control and everything.
2: I guess, yeah, as long as you're, there is an example of something similar done uh, on the backend as well, actually. Uh, I think it's Uncle Bob in one of his talks, he talked through how they were building this server-side application that renders HTML pages, and they, they were doing solid principles, all of that, and, and abstracted out and kicked the can of choosing the database all the way, like initially it was just in memory as they were developing, and then later they decided, no, 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 we don't know if we need a database yet, let's just persist it to disk. And it worked, and it, it, like your code doesn't never never talks to the persistence layer, right? It it has a has a, an adapter for it, and it actually happened to be that they never changed that adapter even after going to production mm-hmm. from from file system one, and it was serving like thousands and hundreds of thousands of requests fine without mm-hmm. any SQLite.
1: Yeah, like um you know, I've had people say to me like, "Oh, but isn't like a database faster?" and like there are, you know, databases will have optimizations, but at the end of the day, they're writing to the disk anyway. So like the, the core the exactly. core thing has, still has to be done, it still has to write to the disk. So yeah, there's caching and things like that that they can do to speed it up, but I mean, there's nothing faster than just writing a text file to the system uh, in terms of uh, uh, like what, what was the operating system built for.
2: And yeah, on iOS, I would think, you never process thousands of entries of anything right it's just small it's a small device i guess maybe it's an if it's an itunes app or something
1: yeah i I, yeah i try not to uh say like oh there will never be thousands of (laughs) things in in your app because it can lead to some bad uh inefficient decisions that may cause your app to crash in the future Um, but yeah, like you definitely always got to keep that in mind and yeah, at a certain point, uh, like for example, with this solution, once it got to maybe tens of thousands of items, then the diffing and sorting could, could actually, I think the sorting was done by the file system, but the diffing of everything to see what changed, uh, could get quite expensive. So at some point you do need a cache, and maybe you get that through a file system or maybe you get it through some other method. Yeah, I was gonna say, I mean,
0: there are certain functions that the database will give you as far as, yeah, the searching, sorting, relationships, things like that. But yeah, if you have a small enough data set, then it may be just as fast to put it in a file. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out.
1: Yeah, and and you know, I I, I don't think iOS has these APIs, but like on OS 10, you can use, or sorry, Mac OS, you can use Spotify spotlight APIs to, you know, search into files and things like that really quickly. Um, Unfortunately, like, iOS spotlight APIs are the opposite. They're a way you can expose your data in a proprietary format to the system instead of the system exposing its data to your app. Um, So that's kind of unfortunate. But yeah, I could see a world where uh, it is easy to actually search Within a folder of files, uh, and and get uh, you know uh, strings out of it, basically string matching. Yeah.
0: So, assuming that you want to do this, you don't necessarily want to figure out you know the complexities of core data or realm or some third-party API up in the cloud that hopefully you're connected to the internet, so you can see it. I mean, what what does the approach look like?
1: Um, yeah. So um, one of the cool things about experimenting with this was it's kind of like putting together the lego building blocks of foundation (laughs) so instead of putting together like ui kit stuff like we normally do it's it's kind of like what are all these subsystems in in foundation that we can use and put them together to uh, create a cohesive uh, kind of feature Uh, and that was kind of the fun part Um, there's all these apis in there uh, that's uh we uh, you mentioned earlier before we started the, some of the old user interfaces i showed because some of the apis are literally from before os10 uh back in next step but um for example uh there's ns file wrapper uh, which is like an easy way to abstract a document package uh in OS10 um and a document package is like a file full of folders and it kind of represents that as a uh easy to manipulate object in memory um and you can save the whole thing as one file sort of deal uh, if that makes sense and um another example was when iCloud syncing came to OS10 in Lion, Mac OS Lion, I think. Um, it, we got NS File Coordinator and, the, and NS File Presenter. And those are the kind of the heart of the, the system I built, where NS File Coordinator and Presenter are designed so that when the file system changes underneath your app for reasons unknown, and in this case, the reason unknown was supposed to be iCloud uh, syncing. Uh, then your app could respond appropriately. Uh, It would basically register, like, I'm interested in this file or I'm interested in this folder. And any time it changed, uh, your app would get a callback. And then there's using the kind of basic NSURL features to, uh, when you use NS File Manager to get the contents of a directory, you can prefetch key metadata like... um, date modified, uh, date created, and anything you may want to sort by, and then it's really easy uh, and fast to have the system sort uh, an array of NSURL objects using that metadata. And so you kind of combine that, uh, you add in a diffing diffing algorithm. Uh, In this case, I used uh, the Instagram one, but uh, now Swift has one built in, so that's really nice. But you say you take the old array of NSURLs and you diff it against the new one, and uh, then it's really easy to update a table view uh, or a collection view of that data in an animated fashion.
2: What uh, kind of tech do you need to use for that? Like Codable, I would assume, right? Or or other protocols?
1: Yeah, this one I wrote entirely in Objective-C. And I did that, one, because at the time Swift did not have the diffing built in, so there was no advantage to using Swift. Um, And two, because I was worried that there'd be a big bridging penalty when you have uh, NS Array full of hundreds of NS URLs and you're constantly bridging back and forth to get them from uh, NS File Manager to Swift and then... Diffing them and sorting them and then uh, and doing that. So that's why I built it all in Objective C. Um, and then for the actual files, the codable decodable, instead of using that, I used the NS file wrapper. So NS file wrapper lets you say, this is a directory that contains five files. The five files are these names and this is their data blob. And the data blob you can populate any way you want. Um, so you could use Codable or uh, the older NS coding uh, standards.
0: You're gonna have to tell me what Codable is because I'm not familiar.
1: <laughs> Codable is the uh, newer standard uh, that Apple has made for converting kind of objects in memory into data that can be written to disk or sent over the wire in Swift. Um, okay. In OS ten or sorry, in Objective C, it used to be called NS coding, um, and now they've kind of deprecated that. You're supposed to use NS secure coding, which is almost the same, but they're basically just ways of saying, "Here's my object in memory, and now I want you to convert it into something that I can either send across the wire or write to disk."
2: So essentially, your <clears throat> sort of solution could be split into two parts effectively right one is the manipulating files locally and urls i I would think those are the two main components right oh and the the data for the files i guess Yeah, and then, and then the syncing part is the other big
1: exactly yeah 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 and yeah and that's that's another reason that it's really nice to just have a big folder full of files because it's really easy to separate the like data, reading, writing part from the syncing part because you don't need any special frameworks or anything to to do the syncing because they don't need to know anything about your data because it's just files. And so you could literally have a separate process do the syncing or Dropbox could do the syncing and your app would just update.
2: How How would nice. you integrate those third, party, third parties like Dropbox into it?
1: Yeah. So I think the Dropbox in this example I'm thinking of would, you know, I've never used their SDK, so I don't know what functionality they provide in terms of just syncing files. But I was more thinking like on, on the Mac, if, if your documents, if your application's documents directory was in Dropbox, it would just automatically sync and then your app
2: would update see that that makes sense so you're essentially not explicitly doing it you just let in the yeah. system okay so on, yeah. on, I, on ios though it would, wouldn't work like that
1: yeah on ios you'd have to have something uh, well yeah you'd have to have something uh built into your application to do the syncing um or at least uh like um if you're using the app extensions and your data was in the stored container, some sort of background extension that could run and, and sync everything. Um, but yeah, the way iOS does process management is kind of a shame. So like you can't just create your own process and, and run it. Um, I, I do wonder if your documents were in iCloud on iOS they would just
2: sync also thinking about the they got this new file management that i never looked into it's a it's an app now and i think the somehow files app files up, yeah, yeah yeah and then now somehow dropbox and other syncing providers can actually tap into that but again i don't know the limitations there
1: yeah so i i i think uh, if you want to use icloud to, to sync documents. I think you get just access to your own container in iCloud for your app, but I'm not 100% sure. So it may need to be user accessed because uh, like, it's it's built for document-based apps, not these shoebox apps. So it, it may not work the way I'm expecting.
2: Okay, yeah. And likely <clears throat> all the privacy Apple has is probably going to kind of sandbox it too, right?
1: Well, it'll be sandboxed to your app for sure. Um, but as I think, as far as their Apple's concerned, like if it's documents created and read by your app, then it's okay. But I, I, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't go that far. Like I said, kind of, this is not something I'm using in production. It was more like a thought experiment and a way to get uh, people that attended or watched the talk to kind of just think differently or think harder about like their persistence solution instead of just oh i'll use core data like i don't know what i'm going to save so i'll just use core data
2: or or even realm because it's cool and awesome and, and everyone talks about <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm, it. yeah i'm done with realm
2: <laughs> Are they are they I'll even do. around still
1: they they are i think they're yeah, they they're were acquired and so i don't really know what's happening with them now uh i the the um database is open source so theoretically like it could go on and on um no matter what happens with them but uh like the main reason i learned to use realm first was because it, of the promise of their sync engine thing and I don't know. I built an app with Realm and it was relatively simple and I kind of had to do so many hacks to get it to work right. I was like, no, I'll try something else. And core data is really not that hard, especially with the new, newer APIs.
2: Well, Jeff, now, now it's time to build a, um, a, a web interface on top of your solution and then you can mm-hmm. go raise some VC funds and go IPO <laughs> too, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Remember yeah. when you're rich.
2: Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah, like um, yeah, like I said, because it's just files, it's super easy to uh, uh, build a web interface on top of it. So yeah, like I've mentioned, Git a couple of times. Like that was the coolest experience, uh, like syncing with Git, which again is something we don't normally think about. But y- you, uh, in that talk, I did the demo where you know, I, I do something in the app and I go to GitHub and I reload and then I edit the file in GitHub and go back into the app and it just updates. And it's like, wow. You know. Hey, can, can,
2: can you talk about that? Uh, that that actually sounds amazing, yeah.
1: Yeah, so like I've seen other developers toy with this that like um, Will Shipley ha- also has an old, old talk about Git as a document format. So he's using it for one document instead of like a whole shoebox. But it really provides a lot of functionality and it's very powerful for free and and like some of the functionality is like infinite undo because past you know relaunches and everything cuz the full history is there um but yeah basically what i did in that demo was anytime <clears throat> you did something in the app uh it would just commit it with some kind of generic message. And then uh, if there was a remote configured, it would push it. And then I just had a timer for checking uh, whether something changed on the the other end. But um, basically it will allow, as long as all your changes are like, I'm gonna mess up my Git terminology here, but as long as all your changes are fast forward um
2: non-conflicting m- mergeable,
1: yeah. then it's all automatic. So you make a change, you push it, another device makes a change, it pushes it. Um, and as long as everything can fast forward, there's no conflicts or anything. And even if there is a conflict, you just say get checkout and then you you know you you can programmatically pick uh right. which version you want. Yeah. It's not it's not the best wrapper because it's it's but it's one called Objective Git. And it was a little hard to get working because it wants to bundle like a static framework that is basically like the Git tool into your app. And then uh, it wraps it in Objective-C library. And it's much, much, much lower level than the Git command line. So I had to learn a lot about Git to make it work because I didn't know this, but when you say like Git, pull in in the command line is actually doing like 20 different possible things based on the current state of your Git repo. Uh, whereas this objective Git uh, and using it manually like this, you have to kind of check for all those yourself and do the right thing accordingly. Um, but yeah, it was such a cool way to say like, to be able to sync, be able to have all your data everywhere and have full history and undo and um, everything you want, like uh, for example, in that app again, because it's just files on the disk. I could have a command that says, "Show me the state of this app." It was, you know, two months ago, and then you'd do that in Git, and then the, a whole app would update because, like, the file system would change underneath it, and then the UI would update accordingly. So uh, it's a pretty cool solution.
2: That is thing, cool. You you don't have push, right? It's it's a pull you have to, as you said, you have to check periodically.
1: Yeah, so if you wanted um, like a, a more live syncing system, then you would have to set up like, say your own Git server yourself and then have some process on there looking for changes. And then when there's a change, do like a Apple push notification to your app. But I don't think that would be too hard to set up. Uh, in this demo, I just used GitHub, so I didn't have to set up a server or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get server's not hard to set up. Yeah. Yeah, and you could even do, like, um, you know, again, it's just files on disk, so the server can do whatever it wants, commit the changes, and then it's like, yep. you know, the user's device did. So, uh, pretty, it's a it's pretty open system that way.
2: So, any common gotchas people should know about, sort of, implementing their their storage solution, kind of, and yeah. tackling t- the, the whole approach in it, I guess
1: yeah so i guess if uh if you are building i mean if ever you're accessing the file system you know like it's a great great tool because it's such a good source of truth like if there's one source of truth if there's one singleton in your freaking app you know it's like the disk like nothing is more <laughs> That's true uh, sing more single than that right And uh, so it's okay to treat it that way. You know, you don't, it's okay to use like your disk access as a singleton because there is only one disk. But I would say like the thing about it is it's just incredibly, hmm, what's the word, Uh, in motion or like constantly changing. So you always have to assume that everything's going to change out from underneath you and be prepared for that. Uh, Like one example of this is uh, sometimes you'll see code samples where they say like, oh, check if the file exists, and if the file exists, open it. And Apple has always said, like, don't do that. (laughs) Like, just open the file, and if it doesn't exist or there's some problem, deal with the error. Because from the time you check if it exists to the time of opening the file, one line of code later, it could be deleted or moved or whatever. Um, and so that's what I would recommend: is is really make sure you're following Apple uh, recommendations, and just assume that it, it's constantly changing.
0: One of my favorite communities in programming these days is the Angular community. Every time I go to an Angular conference or meet up with some of my friends who are in the Angular community, I have a great time, and a lot of them have wound up on Adventures in Angular. So if you're doing front end development, you're looking for a way to keep current on the Angular ecosystem and you want to have a good time listening to fun people talk about great topics related to Angular, then go check out adventures in Angular at adventuresinangular.com.
1: Nice. So what have you built with this? Uh, I have built nothing with this. (laughs) I built that, that demo demo. app. Yeah. And um, I was planning. So I, that app I showed is an app I use personally, which it's like a, Instapaper clone I made that I used to save all my URLs um, Mm -hmm. because I was just kind of unhappy with all the Instapaper and other clones of it. Um, And I use Realm now and the cloud syncing and I wanted to switch it over to uh, GitHub um, or Git of some sort. So I wanted to build this thing and see if it could be done. Um, But I, after doing that, uh, I uh, started started my new job in Tokyo and so I just haven't had very much uh, free time and now that cloud kit syncing is for core data I am planning to experiment with that next to see if it provides the functionality I'm looking for
2: nice anything with a uh, blockchain there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 yeah. I mean, it, it is a database, if you think about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, the file system is a database, if you think about it, it's just massive. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, um, or I guess that's probably technically not true, but yeah, like, um, you know, in terms of there's like real data and then there's caches and other faster ways of accessing it, you could think of it like a database. Um, but yeah, uh, blockchain. I, I really don't know anything about it. But it sounds kind of like a Git thing, right? It's just like changes, and everyone agrees on the changes, and then it's, and everyone can read all the data, and it's
2: done. I, I, I would say yes, but pretend, pretending I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> but your startup is instantly worth 10x if if it has blockchain in it. So
2: exactly. Especially exactly.
1: if it's AI managed blockchain, right? Yeah, how many buzzwords can you throw in oh,
2: there? Oh, and we gotta we gotta have a Bluetooth somewhere there too.
1: That's right, mm-hmm. and it runs on Kubernetes,
0: yeah. with, with a service mesh behind it. <laughs> yeah, AR and VR coming soon.
2: Oh, and the data streaming right in the browser.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh. oh man. Yeah, sometimes I feel lucky that I was able to leave Silicon Valley.
2: <laughs> Tell me about it.
0: <laughs> All right, well, anything else we should talk about here before we do our picks?
1: Um, let's see. No, I think I think that's it, yeah. All right, I'll do in, some in picks. In a second. So
0: uh, I've got a couple of picks. The first one is uh, TV show that I've been watching. Um, I don't know if I picked this last week or not. So, um, but it's called the man in the high castle Mm. and it's, uh, it's an Amazon prime show. Um, I've really been enjoying it. Um, it starts out in with two characters, one's in New York and the other one is in San Francisco, but it takes place in uh, the sixties after the allies lost world war II. And so what winds up happening is they get they both get caught up in this, uh, you know, this stuff that's going on. And I don't want to give away too much, but within the first episode or two, um, one of them winds up with this film that shows basically an alternative history, And the alternative history is ours, where we won World War II. And so it shows, um, you know, the Allied troops celebrating the end of the war and things like that. And you know, so then there's this whole, you know, the the Nazis and the Japanese are looking for the films and you know, anyway, you know, so they're chasing them and stuff. And it, it's really, really fascinating. It's also interesting to see, you know, how they kind of extrapolated out um what the the alternative history as far as you know what would have happened if they had won the war and how they had won the war and things like that. So um anyway. I I thought I've I've really been enjoying it so I'm going to pick that. And then over the holiday break I I listened to a book on Audible called Ready Fire Aim and it's a business book so if you're out there building a the business um it kind of talks about the different stages that your business will go through and in particular it walks you through each stage and basically says, you know, if you're under a million dollars a year in revenue then you should be Doing sales—that's your primary, you know, strategy. And then once you're over a million dollars in sales, then you're systemizing all of your processes so that you can take advantage of, you know, different optimizations you can make. And then, and then it talks about hiring people and growing your team and things like that. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Of course, I'm still at the under a million dollar phase, so um, you know, I just kicked my sales up a notch. But I really enjoyed it, so I'm going to pick that. All right, Alex.
2: Charles, you just need to, need to do that VC blockchain, you know, <laughs> ra- capital <laughs> raise, and you'll get there.
0: Actually, I have another side project that I'm working on. I was telling Alex about it before, um, but I am actually doing uh, live streams, uh, building it, because uh, I want to learn Vue.js. So um, you can go check that out on the devchat.tv channel. Um, and I, yeah, I need to put them all into a playlist. So I'll do that here in a minute and put the link in the show notes. And that way you can all go watch me build this crazy app.
2: I have two picks. Uh, one is business. One is entertainment. So the business one is profit first book uh, that I read a few months ago. This is also, well, business related. It's basically great book. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just a sort of. shifting everything shifted everything for me like I do profit
0: first and it's awesome
2: it's it's, the idea is that a lot of businesses struggle small businesses specifically because they founders do not pay themselves first right and they are typically the people who put the most hours and effort so the idea there is that every time you get any kind of revenue you split it at certain proportions let's say Uh, 15% for tax, 30% for expenses, and then 50% for uh, owner's compensations, right? And then it sort of, as you go through that process, you actually realize, oh, but I'm spending too much. I don't have enough in my expenses. So then you need to optimize and then like cut your expenses or do something else or increase your sales. But that way you will pay yourself first which means you're not going to struggle as typically small businesses or founders do, right? Mm. It's it's a fascinating book. I I highly recommend reading it. It, I don't give it justice right now by explaining the whole process, but Mm. uh, if you follow it, I mean, I do with with my book. It's tiny business, but still it is a business and it it works. It's finally, you know, I'm extracting some profits out. Uh, And another pick is... um, the the Iliad and Odyssey. I think <laughs> that's, that's how you... Classic. Yes. Uh, I recently got, got this book. I read it when I was a kid, but I kind of started to forget. And I'm rereading it now. Oh, man, it's fascinating. So much so much drama.
1: <laughs> so, so many
2: demigods messing things up. Totally. <laughs> uh, it's fantastic. It's a bit of a heavy read.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, but not as bad as so. The other book I got before then was um, the Divine Comedy. That is, a, that is a that's a tough read. So this one's a bit easier. But yeah,
0: that, yeah those are we, my picks. We had to read the Divine Comedy for my Italian minor in college. So we had to oh, read it in Italian too. <laughs>
2: I was oh, gonna, wow. yeah, I was going to say Italian. Wow, <laughs>
1: that's that sounds hard. Um, yeah, I'll keep I'll keep up the book theme here. So I was just, uh, promoted to engineering manager at work. So I've been, uh, reading, I'm about halfway through the manager's path by, I'm sorry, I'm going to mess up this name, Camille Fournier. And it's just really good book. Like, um, you know, I think almost a lot of the stuff in there can be seen as kind of obvious, but it's not, it's also got some good insight and, um, it's also just uh, good to have, have it in your mind and, and remember things. And, and she, she talks about uh, change and, and things that happen in companies and, and how the individual contributors at the company can react to that and how, how to help them steer them in a, a good direction. That uh, sounds videos. really
0: interesting. Very cool. Well, if people want to find you online, where do they go?
1: Uh, you know, I think it's best to check out just my GitHub. Um, it's at Jeffrey Bergier, and I'm sorry for the spelling, but hopefully you can provide a link. Uh, it's B-E-R-G-I-E-R. Uh, I do have Twitter, uh, but I don't really use it that much anymore these days. So I think GitHub is the best. Good deal. All right, well, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up.
0: Uh, we'll be back next week. And in the meantime, Max out. All right, thanks. Bye. 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 Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y to learn more.